Lisa of Two Sober Chicks, and this is a shot glass of recovery. It's not Two Sober Chicks, only because there's only one of us sitting here. So when Julie and I are together, Two Sober Chicks, when one of us is by ourselves, we do a shot glass of recovery. Um, In one of her shot glasses of recovery, Julie was doing the stories. So she was reading the stories. One of which she read was a story called Women Suffer Too. And that story was about Marty Mann. Just recently, I did a couple of episodes on the Tebow Papers. I read from um, the excerpt from Therapeutic Mechanisms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the other paper was Anonymity, the Ego Reducer. Uh, In the first paper, Therapeutic Mechanisms of Alcoholics Anonymous, this is a paper that was published by Harry Tebow in 1944, and uh, he refers to his experience with one of his female patients, Marty Mann, uh, back then known as Marty M, or Mrs. Marty M, and she was one of his patients who he introduced um, this therapeutic mechanism of Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, the surrender experience. And he wrote a whole paper on their experience together. Uh, it's really interesting. So Margaret or Marty M is also the author of the story Women Suffer Too, which is number three in the fourth edition of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I thought it'd be kind of cool to give you a little bit of back history on this author in uh, story number three, Women Suffer Too. So a couple of things. I went to two different websites. Uh, One is the AA Agnostica website, and it has this little history to say on the infamous Marty Mann. Born in 1905, Margaret Marty Mann grew up in Chicago, where her wealthy family provided her with every advantage, including the finest boarding schools and finishing school in Europe. In her big book story, Women Suffer Too, we are told, quote, My family had money. I had never known denial of any material desire, end quote. An attractive and popular debutante, Marty's circle was young, privileged, and fast-moving. It was the Roaring Twenties, after all. Following her debut in 1927, at the age of 21, Marty eloped with a handsome New Orleans party boy from a socially prominent family. Both bride and groom were considerably high on alcohol at the time. The young husband's dubious claim to fame was being his town's worst drunk. In her words, Marty says, My husband was an alcoholic, and since I had only contempt for those without my own amazing capacity, the outcome was inevitable. My divorce coincided with my father's bankruptcy, and I went to work in 1928 casting off all allegiances and responsibilities to anyone other than myself. Described by those who knew her as favored with beauty, brains, charisma, phenomenal energy, and a powerful will, she merged these with strong social connections to forge a successful career in public relations. Quote, I had my own business, successful enough for me to indulge most of my desires. End quote. She even went abroad to live. That her life of success, hedonism, and fulfilled desires left her increasingly miserable is reminiscent of Oscar Wilde's insightful dictum. Quote, there are only two tragedies in life. One is not getting what one wants, and the other is getting it. End quote. The fun and frolic of the late 20s had become something altogether different ten years later. 
Hangovers began to assume monstrous proportions, and the morning drink became an urgent necessity. Blanks became more frequent. With a creeping insidiousness, drink had become more important than anything else. It no longer gave me pleasure. It merely dulled the pain, but I had to have it. That's taken from her story in the big book, Women Suffer Too. A return to America and her drinking grew worse. The one-time debutante, then PR whiz kid, found herself on the charity ward of First Bellevue Hospital, and then the Blythewood Sanatorium in Greenwich, Connecticut, of which she had one time been a resident. Man's psychiatrist, Harry Tebow, had been given a manuscript of the book Alcoholics Anonymous, which he gave Marty to read. The first chapters were a revelation to me. I wasn't the only person in the world who felt and behaved like this. I wasn't mad or vicious. I was a sick person. I was suffering from an actual disease that had a name and symptoms like diabetes or cancer or TB. And a disease was respectable, not a moral stigma. Again, that's another quote taken directly from her story, Women Suffer Too. Spreading the message expressed in the previous quotation would eventually take Marty Mann far beyond the rooms of AA. Meeting Bill Wilson. In spite of not being happy with the number of capital G words present in the manuscript in April 11th of 1939, Marty was driven by Popsy M to the Clinton Street meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. The occasion must have been somewhat somber as the government-imposed moratorium on foreclosures had been recently lifted and the Wilsons were about to lose their home. At the gathering of this group of freaks or bums who had done this thing, a surprising thing happened. I went trembling into a house in Brooklyn, filled with strangers, and I found I had come home at last to my own kind. In spite of this auspicious debut and a somewhat secular awakening about the need to let go of anger, Ms. Mann did not go deaf to the siren call of fermented beverages. Several relapses preceded her achieving a long-term sobriety well into 1940, possibly just one more illustration of the insidious nature of this malady. The Yale Plan for Alcohol Studies When Dr. E.M. Jelinek, America's premier researcher into alcoholism, joined Dr. Howard Haggard and Dr. Sheldon D. Bacon to form the Yale Plan for Alcohol Studies, they had a problem. In order that they not be viewed as ivory tower types with only a superficial academic knowledge of real alcoholism, they needed a real alcoholic. Exhibit A. Of course, this issue was not unrelated to fundraising. Marty Mann joined these men in their noble cause of bringing change to public attitudes toward the disease and its sufferers. She felt the calling to work in the field of alcoholic education, and in particular, she desired to help women alcoholics who were cursed with a double stigma. Another quote. The National Committee for Education on Alcoholism, Inc., the organization Marty founded, opened its offices on October 2, 1944. The NCEA, eventually to become the National Council on Alcoholism, received an enthusiastic endorsement from the grapevine, itself only four months old. It also received the support of many prominent and some not-so-prominent people, whose names, including those of Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob Smith, appeared on the committee's letterhead. The AA co-founders' names on the letterhead gave the impression that the two groups were connected. To confuse matters further, 
Marty, as she spoke across the country on behalf of her new organization, was breaking her own anonymity. This comes from the book Pass It On, and it comes on page 320. Ultimately, Wilson and Smith withdrew from the NCEA and became persuaded that total non-affiliation was the only answer as they had inadvertently associated AA with the plea for public funds by Mann's organization, a solicitation that went out at some point to AA members. Additionally, Marty agreed to discontinue publicly identifying herself as an AA member. This was not entirely satisfactory, as the public was becoming aware that only AA members tended to refer to themselves as alcoholics after becoming sober through fellowship, while those who had gotten sober by any other means typically referred to themselves as ex-alcoholics. Anonymity issues aside, the NCEA with Mrs. Mann as spokesperson and Exhibit A was quite successful in communicating the three tenets of its core message. One, alcoholism is a disease, and the alcoholic is a sick person. Two, the alcoholic can be helped and is worth helping. Three, alcoholism is a public health problem and therefore a public responsibility. These ideas are so universally accepted today that it can be difficult to imagine that they were both revolutionary and counterintuitive at the time. In the 1950s, famous journalist and newscaster... He was huge. Uh, Edward R. Murrow included Marty Mann on his list of the 10 greatest living Americans. Mann's breach of her own anonymity for the sake and good of others clearly had mostly positive outcomes. It is hard to know the causes leading to her relapse at 20 years sober. Perhaps the aggrandizement of ego that is at the core of AA's fears for members who go public was a factor. AA also warns of the dangers of being a secret keeper, and Mann was in the closet. Uh, She was a lesbian for decades who had been hiding in the closet. Her close friends knew the truth, but she shielded this additional stigma from the public to the point of retaining and using the title Mrs. her entire life, in spite of returning to the use of her maiden name. Her volatile love affair with the Countess may have also been a factor, all matters of pure speculation. People have also speculated that later in her life, she had been drinking at times when she was representing herself as sober. Regardless, she is an iconic character in the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, and at a far broader level in the worldwide treatment and understanding of alcoholism. Mrs. Marty Mann died in 1980, shortly after suffering a stroke. She was 75 years old. There are few things that have changed more since these earliest days than the position of women within the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. From this less-than-auspicious debut and a mere token presence in 1939, women now comprise fully 35% of our society. Young women arriving new to AA in the 21st century may well be surprised and even displeased with the male-dominant language of the big book, but it is a reflection of a different era, fully three generations in the past. That portion of uh, our little history lesson on Marty Mann, uh, the lady who is talked about in Women Suffer Too in the big book story section, um, was taken in part from aaagnostica.org and from the book by Bob Kay, Key Players in AA History. 
The other place that I wanted to take a little information from was uh, on the internet called Silkworth, you know, drsilkworth.net. In July 1968, the grapevine updated Marty's story and said the 12 steps were still very important to her. They gave her more than sobriety. They gave her a glimpse at something she had never known. Peace of mind, a sense of being comfortable with herself and with the world in which she lived, and a lot of other things which could be summed up as a sense of growth, both emotional and spiritual. Marty influenced alcoholism legislation at the state and national levels. She is considered to be the mother of the Hughes Act, the Comprehensive Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism Prevention, Treatment, and Rehabilitation Act of 1970, which greatly enhanced the federal government's role in alcoholism treatment and prevention. Mel B., in My Search for Bill W., described Marty as one of Bill W.'s closest friends and allies. It says that uh, while some men may have felt threatened by such a strong woman, Bill supported her work and went out of his way to encourage her. To protect the work she was doing during a period of heavy anti-gay bias, Marty never revealed her lesbianism except to Bill, who was her sponsor, and other close friends. Her longtime lesbian partner was Priscilla P., once a glamorous art director at Vogue magazine, the fifth woman Marty brought into AA. In her last years, Marty was deeply troubled by Priscilla's Alzheimer's disease. Marty would make her last public appearance at the AA International Convention in New Orleans in July of 1980. Two weeks after her return to her home in Easton, Connecticut, her housekeeper would find her unconscious at the kitchen table. She had suffered a massive cerebral hemorrhage the night before. Priscilla had slept through it all. She was rushed to St. Vincent's Medical Center in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where she died later that night on July 22, 1980, at the age of 75. The New York Times ran a major obituary, and her death was widely reported around the nation. A long tribute to her was read into the congressional record. When her partner Priscilla died on November 9, 1982, Marty's brother tried to make arrangements for her to be buried next to Marty in Chicago, but Rose Hill Cemetery ruled that the family plot was reserved for members of the family only. Their union never recognized. Priscilla was cremated and her remains spread on the waters off the coast on the shore of Connecticut. Uh, a lot of this information on Silkworth.net, they credit to a book written by Sally and David Brown. It was called Mrs. Marty Mann, the First Lady of Alcoholics Anonymous. And this has been a little history lesson into one of our founding female participants in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Lisa of Two Sober Chicks, and this has been a shot glass of recovery. Thanks for joining me, and have a blessed 24.